banded together by a mutual yearning for the more simplistic times and random fun of the comic books of yesteryear. Alec Berry and Scott Gardner now travel back. Back to the bins! What's up, everyone, and welcome to Back to the Bins number 17. My name is Alec Berry. Hey, my name is Scott Gardner. And we are here again to bring you the randomness of comic books of yesteryear. That's what we do, right? Oh, I, I, I thought we were interviewing somebody. We could. <laughs> Eric, you want to come on the show? Oh, God, no. <laughs> you can just interview Eric. You'll take a, take a half-hour podcast and make it a three-and-a-half-hour podcast. Yeah. And it will tangent. Oh, my God, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Just right, kidding. Well, Just kidding, Eric. We love you, buddy. It's a bad idea. We won't do it. So, uh, he'll, be all, he'll be all pouty and pissy now. He'll be sending me PMs and emails. I thought you liked me, man. I thought we were friends. I'm just teasing. <laughs> Sorry for your luck, Eric. He's Sorry so sensitive. <laughs> All right, I'm going to hand it off to you unless you start this week. Sweet. All right. All right. I got here. Let me see. We're going to travel back to... Uh, where the hell are my notes? Here we are. Okay, we're going back this time to July 1977. So a good old 12-year jaunt back in time here. This is Bloodshot, Volume 2, Number 1. By, um, it says on the cover, it says Acclaim Comics, but I guess Acclaim was actually a division of Valiant, so this is actually a Valiant comic. And you, I, you mean to say 1997? What did I say? You said 1977. Oh, did I? Yeah. yeah. Oh, do I need to start it over again? I'll start nah, it over again. I just, it, we're good. <laughs> we're not professionals, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, anyway, I think, I, I think... I think this comic holds the distinction of being my first Valiant comic, because uh, I'm pretty sure I've never read anything by them before. Um, anyway, cover and interior art by Sal Valuto and Jeff Albrecht, and the art was really why I picked this up, because I love Sal Valuto's stuff. I mean, I'm not terribly familiar with him, but you know, anything I've ever seen of his I really liked. You know, he did... Uh, uh, the JLA, what was that Justice League Task Force? He did Justice League Task Force. He did a, a short-lived DC series called Firebrand and just odd things here and there. But whenever I've seen his stuff, it always jumps out at me. It's just fantastic art. Um, written by Len Kaminsky. And original cover price on this baby was $2.50. And we start off the issue with these detectives going around and collecting witness statements of just this this like massacre of thugs and and underworld types that have just happened that all these people were witness to and this great big guy that's described as the angel of death you know came in on his you know he's got a great big uh you know great big hog great big motorcycle harley davidson or something he's all dressed very much like like arnold in the in the terminator movies he came in and just chased these guys down and was blowing them away. You know, some of the witness, uh, some of the witnesses actually saw the guy take rounds, you know, get hit in the chest or wherever and, and just kind of shake it off like it didn't bother him at all. 
and then uh, one of the surviving thugs that the police have taken into custody, you know, actually said that uh, they blew out the guy's front tire and he took a dive off of, uh, you know, he went through a guardrail and went straight off a bridge into the drink, you know, and, you know, speculates that now he sleeps with the fishes. And, you know, we uh, then kind of follow a little bit of a story that was a little bit tough to tell exactly what was going on, but, uh, you know, already it's setting up, you know, the the big boss that's behind some crime thing that's going on or whatever. But most of the issue was wrapped up with this guy, you know, this this big Terminator-looking guy. And we cut to a scene where, you know, they've got divers in the water and they've got a helicopter circling around. They're trying to find his body. And he's actually on the bottom of the river and he he puts himself into some sort of, like, sleep mode. And while he's in this sleep mode, he has, you know, this great big flashback sequence that's very much like... It reminded me a lot of... uh the Weapon X series with Wolverine, you know, that shows the guy all pumped full of chemicals and he's got all these tubes and wires sticking out of him and everything. And basically he was part of some sort of project where they reanimated him kind of like Deathlock style, you know, brought him back and and made him like like an ultimate ultimate man, you know, kind of like a cross between, like, Frankenstein and, and Deathlock or something like that. And then, you know, again, very Weapon X-like, he breaks out of the facility and, and kind of just goes rogue and goes off on his own. We cut back to the here and now where the divers come across his body, and when they shine a light on him, he snaps out of his sleep mode, takes out all the divers, and, you know... It's hard to tell if he actually kills the guys or if he just kind of incapacitates them. But anyway, he's the only one that emerges from the river. And he's kind of downriver at this point, away from where the helicopters are circling, looking for the guy. He uh, Then he goes into a, a supermarket. And I guess just because he's this huge, freakish-looking guy, you know, that's dripping wet and everything, the, there's a cop that stops him thinking that, I don't know, maybe he's shoplifting or he's up to no good i love i love how he just like kills these guys in the river and he's just like i'm gonna go get some milk before i go home well that's what i was wondering too is where is this guy going well it's actually pretty cool he goes and he he grabs a a fistful of all these uh uh i don't know they're like steaks and raw meat and all this you know just stuff from the meat department and he's got a big old roll of like duct tape and everything he goes back to his place and, uh, you know, it's just this little, like, hole-in-the-wall dive that, you know, he's using as a as a base of operations. There he strips off his, his outfit, and he's just got this massive hole blown right through him. He's got ribs and guts and everything hanging out of it. Well, he rips open all this raw meat that he bought at the supermarket, bought or stole. It doesn't really show if he bought it or if he just walked out with it. But anyway, he sticks all this meat into him. And it's, it turns out that he's got like nanites and shit inside of him that will use this as raw material to patch him back together, which I thought was, you know, that's a pretty cool idea. I thought that was kind of a novel approach. So he stuffs himself full of all this just raw material, this raw meat and everything. And then he wraps up his body with all this duct tape to basically keep the shit from falling out of him. Cause I mean, he's literally got a hole blown right through him. 
and uh and then we cut to him you know he gets on the phone and he's uh calling somebody and the guy he's calling you know tells him that you know I keep telling you you're calling the wrong number you know we don't know who you're looking for and the issue wraps up where it looks like the guy that this big guy is looking for may actually be him himself so it was a little bit confusing on exactly who the guy was after and what the whole deal is but it was just intriguing enough that man i really want to check out the rest of this because it was i mean the art was the big thing the art was fantastic i mean the writing was really good too what's that ignore the phone in the background (laughs) i mean the art was fantastic i mean the uh, story was really good too it was just uh it was a little vague but i think it was supposed to be purposely vague it was basically giving you the the setup of, you know, that this was a reanimated guy, you know, for whatever reason, he went rogue, now he's trying to, you know, track down whoever killed him in the first place or whatever, and he may be a little confused as to who the killer actually is. And that's what I took away from it, but it was it was enough to intrigue me that I want to read more of this, because I was actually, uh, I was pretty psyched. I, I walked away from it going, wow, that had a lot of action. And uh, it was a novel approach to kind of an old idea, you know, the whole Frankenstein thing, you know, the whole thing of taking a guy and making a, some sort of super weapon, superhuman thing out of him. I mean, that's been done to death. You know, we've seen it with mm. with Deathlock and, uh, and Robocop and, you know, Weapon X and all these different things. But this, this one was novel. I mean, there was just a, a slightly different approach to it, and it, it was really fun. I mean, I really got a kick out of it. And, you know, they really tried to apply, you know, some real pseudoscience to it, to how they were actually able to reanimate the guy. You know, it wasn't just a matter of they stuck electrodes in his neck and zapped him with electricity and he came back. You know, there was the whole thing with the the nanites and, you know, trying to, you know, fix brain damage from him being dead and all this shit. So it was actually you know, very interesting the, the way it was done, but... uh I want to see more of it because I'm I'm really a sucker for the you know the over the top you know big guys with big guns going out and blowing away the mob type of stories and that's pretty much what this was so it was it was a lot of fun I really enjoyed it. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, some of that uh, early Valiant stuff does get a lot of praise from people. I've never actually read any like myself, but uh, you know, would like to eventually. It sounded interesting. Yeah, all I've ever heard about the Valiant stuff actually is is disses. You know, I mean, I, I hear that in the same breath with, you know, Image and Defiant and all these other ones that it's all shit, you know, that none of it's any good. So I was surprised to read it and find that, wow, you know, this is far from shit. This was really, this was some of the best stuff, you know, of this era that I've read in quite a long time. So, yeah, I got a, I got a big kick out of it. I, I would highly recommend it if you can find it on the cheap. All right. What Sounds do you got? <laughs> I got, I got good stuff this week. And a crazy cover. It's Brave and the Bold, starring Batman and the Creeper. This is uh, cover dated September of 1981. This is issue number 178 of Brave and the Bold. And uh, on the cover, it's just a crazy cover. It's a uh, the Creeper and Batman facing off against this giant paper doll. And uh, the story is called Paper Chase. Uh, you got this one written by Alan Bernard as the writer, and you got Jim Aparo. You know, I, I love Jim Aparo's Batman a lot. Uh, this story is, uh, you know, reading this, um, 
<laughs> it's it's pretty campy, and the villain is kind of great, like weird. It's a pretty weird villain, but it's 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 pretty good. The it's a lot of fun. Uh, we pick up with a story where Batman is in an alleyway, and he's just caught in this wind gust full of like you know loose leaf paper and litter and all this shit, and he's getting hit with it. And uh, next thing he knows, the wind dies down, and he finds a dead body in the alleyway. And uh, he's got the only clue left is this string of paper dolls wrapped around the guy's neck. Uh, and that's it. He's kind of left off. And it turns out, you know, there's been a couple murders this way. And Batman really can't figure out what the connection is between all these different people. Because all the people killed, you know, are really just, you know, they just seem random. And uh, it's weird for him, you know. Can't figure it out. So we go to this TV station where this Dr. Wentley is kind of on the air. And he's this, you know, he's this big TV personality guy. Kind of like a Larry King figure. And, um... He's kind of giving advice to the people of Gotham and, you know, worldwide that we need to fix this superhero problem that we have because it's, you know, it's not in the interest of the quote-unquote vast majority. Uh, you know, it doesn't really stand for equal rights when you have, you know, certain people privileged to uh, get away with almost anything they want. You know, so he's kind of against that. And then in the background we have uh, a certain man known as Jack Ryder who really doesn't agree with Dr. Wentley quite, uh, quite a bit, you know. He wishes he could be on the screen instead, but uh, I guess in the past he gave up his job as a news anchor for security, and it uh, turns out that reason is because he is secretly the Creeper. And, you know, you just see him, all of a sudden there's a, a woman coming down, she's giving reports of another murder, the murder Batman just found, and he just, as he, she turns, he just dives out the window and transforms into the Creeper, off into the night. And uh, as soon as he gets outside, uh, there's people that just throw garbage at him and, you know, cans and all this crap because, you know, they're hearing Dr. Wentley's words and they don't want these superheroes around anymore. So, uh, you know, they're just pumpholding him with, uh, you know, I think I just made up a word there, pumpholding. I'm going to copyright that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we come again, there's, uh, you know, later in the night and there's uh, another kid being attacked by this, you know, unseen figure. We, we don't know, it's just dressed in silhouette. Batman saves up and uh, pulls the kid out of harm's way, and then the creeper starts taking on what we find out is this giant paper doll, uh, an inanimate object that now has life in it. <laughs> and, you know, they're just kind of taken aback. He's like, why are we finding a thing of paper? Uh, but, you know, they're, uh, they're caught off guard by the strength of it because the paper, this paper doll just suddenly, um, it takes, you know, all the scrap on the, on the ground that's laying in this alley and basically uses it to constrict the creeper and, uh, you know, wraps it up in paper and turns it into, like, steel almost and starts constricting him. And Batman tries to save him, but then it takes more of the scrap and turns it into, like, missiles and shoots it at him and all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, what's, uh, what's the number one weapon against paper, Batman figures? Fire. So he basically shoots his laser at him and starts burning him. And uh, the paper doll lets go of the creeper and kind of wanders off and runs off into the night. Uh, from there, you know, they go back to the Batcave, Batman and the Creeper. <laughs> There's this kind of, like, uh, great kind of banter between the two. Uh, I thought it was pretty well written. You know, Creeper calls, keeps calling Batman Bats, and Batman's like, don't call me that. And then he's just like, all right, sure, BM. <laughs> and it's just kind of funny. Uh, kind of reminded me of Spider-Man a little bit, because, you know, Spider-Man always gave people nicknames just to annoy them a little bit. But, um well, Steve, you know, Steve to... Ditko had a hand in both uh, both characters' creations, so there, you know that that's an apt uh, mm. comparison, I think. Yeah, that would make sense then. 
Yeah, they're trying to, um, you know, figure out, again, the connection between all these uh, murders and where this paper thing could have came from, you know. Uh, it can't necessarily be a guy in a costume or whatever. They're really kind of confused by it. So, uh, you know, they're going back out after that. Uh, we get a get skip scheme, uh, skip scheme, skip scene to uh, Dr. Wentley again on the television, you know, spreading his words, spreading his uh, gospel, whatever you want to call it, you know. Then we get reactions from angry citizens. And then we see Jack Ryder kind of like telling off Wentley in private, you know, you need to stop this. Uh, it's not really, you know, for the better. And then you kind of just get Jack Ryder alone thinking about, you know, is it better that I do the superhero thing or is it more important that maybe I try to be the news anchor and tell people? And right at that moment, we get the um, female reporter running by again saying, you know, that uh, the uh, one of the co-hosts of this newscast has been fired and they need a replacement. So she kind of runs off to get the job. But then we just see uh, Jack Ryder kind of smirking as she runs by. Uh, we come back to Batman and the Creeper on the rooftops. And they run across a young, uh, a young woman and, and her child uh, being attacked by this paper doll again. And they get into a fight with it. And, you know, it's kind of beating the crap out of them. Creeper has to take a uh, fire escape, like, stairwell and beat the thing. And it chops off its head. Batman kind of picks up its head, you know, saying, you know, wanting to question it. Because it, the thing does talk, too, which is weird. Uh, but, you know, it's saying, you know, just because you chopped off my head doesn't mean I'm dead. And the body comes running at Batman and, like, throws the creeper at him and stuff. And then it picks up its head and just kind of walks off again. But before it gets away, uh, Batman throws a boom uh, batarang at it and uh, takes off a scrap of the paper so that he can sample it later. And he finds out that it's the same kind of paper that's used in this paper doll as the kind that is used in origami. And, uh, and then they kind of connect that uh, Dr. Wentley, as we saw before is a collector of origami so now they've kind of got their uh, suspicion of who this might be behind this attack so they show up at dr wentley's house you know they start questioning about this thing you know what's your involvement where is it coming from and he basically denies it all he doesn't know anything and um, you know they just kind of all right well, let's get out of here whatever we can't do much more because he's going to call the cops or so they leave dr wentley's mansion because he's threatening to call the cops and you know they're wanting to get out of there and they kind of go off into the night and then we see uh two days later the jack rider is now he is the host of this uh you know evening news broadcast and the woman's kind of angry about it she's like all oh, this backstabbing fool took my job and he gives his advice kind of uh you know just to spite uh dr wentley you know, he's saying that we uh, we have to accept these superheroes because, you know, they help us out. And, you know, uh, it's better for, uh, you know, these, these people aren't truly bad because they have great morality and everything. And they're kind of uh, great role models for our kids and everything. And, you know, that kind of works for the public eye. And then after the broadcast, Jack Ryder just kind of walks out into the street and he comes across Batman kind of hanging out uh you know, it's a great job tonight on the broadcast. I think it'll do some good. And Jack Ryder's like, yeah, I hope. Otherwise, it's my head. And, uh, you know, Batman kind of lets him walk home. And as he keeps walking home, he finds the paper doll uh, starting to follow him. So Jack Ryder just takes off and dives behind a corner and transforms into the creeper. And uh, just comes back and the, they, they start fighting the paper doll and the creeper. And Batman wasn't too far behind. They show up and they start getting into this battle. And then Dr. Wentley makes his appearance. And um, Batman's figured it out. It turns out that this paper doll is sort of the um, manifestation of all of, you know, the negative uh, opinions and negative thoughts of Dr. Wentley. Uh, 
you know, his his hate against superheroes and all this. It's it's his man. The paper doll is that, and uh, you know they're getting their cans kicked. Batman and the Creeper, and you know Wentley is kind of faced with, oh, you know, I can't, I don't hate, I hate these guys, but I can't let them be killed. I can't be. I'm not a murderer, and uh, just kind of this mental storm that he has destroys the paper doll, and uh, that's kind of it. That's where we're left, <laughs> and uh, they just walk off into the night. Creeper, Batman, and Wentley. Uh, like I said, very weird story. Um, I liked it though. I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, great artwork, I thought. Great artwork. And, um, I don't know. It, it was alright. Batman all right. versus Origami. They should have that right on the cover. Yep. In this issue, Batman fights Origami. It was weird. It was very weird. Yeah, I remember, I, vaguely remember that, uh, that issue just because it did have the, the giant he looks like an alien made of paper to me. You know, he's like this. Yeah. Isn't he like a pointy headed alien yeah. looking piece of paper? Yeah. yeah he kind of looks like a cone head. Yeah. That's what he looks like. Yeah, I kind of vaguely remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, that, that was the saving grace of a lot of issues of Brave and the Bold was the, the fantastic art by, uh, by Jim Aparo. Cause I often wonder if, uh, you know, if, if they'd had a substandard artist, on a lot of those issues that had sub substandard stories, mm-hmm. I wonder if that title would be as fondly remembered as it as it is today. Because I mean, anytime I think of Brave and the Bold, I have fond memories. But then I look through my my collection and I'm like, you know, a lot of these issues weren't very good, really. But it's the art, you know, it's that's that great Jim Apparel art that that really makes them. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, there are some wacky ones. <laughs> yep. Uh, probably the most, one of the most out there Batman tales I've read, but, uh, yeah, the artwork did save it for me. I don't know, I kind of liked the zaniness of it, you know, again, it was just kind of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Just to kind of read a one and done story like that. Oh, yeah. two characters. I don't know, I, I liked it, it wasn't bad. Cool. Well, hey, um, speaking of Batman, I, I had a little addendum to something, uh, we were talking about a couple issues, a couple episodes ago. Uh, remember that, uh, that Batman Gotham Knights story I was talking about? You know, yeah. where it wound up at the end where he was in front of his parents' portrait kind of crying, and I thought it was a callback to something. Mm-hmm. I did a little research, and the story I was trying to think of was one, it, it's a classic Batman story. It was called Night of the Stalker, and it was in uh, Detective Comics 439. I just thought I'd throw that out there because, uh, you know, if anybody has access to this story, either, you know, the original one or in, I know it's been reprinted and stuff. It, it's just, it's a fantastic classic Batman story. You know, this was during the era where they were trying to bring the darkness back to Batman, you know, after the, that shitty Adam West TV series and all the camp and all that. This was when the, you know, Steve Englehart was the writer on that one and, and just trying to bring Batman more back to his, you know, event, dread adventure of the night roots. And it's, uh, I mean, just a fantastic story. But this, that story ends the same way where, you know, after a night out pounding the hell out of criminals, he comes back to I think this was when he was actually living in the penthouse rather than Wayne Manor and uh he's standing in front of a, a portrait of his parents and he just kind of breaks down and sobs at the end of it and it was the same ending as that other story and I was like wow that I don't know if it was an intentional callback but it just so reminded me of this classic story and I just thought I'd throw that out there cool that every once in a while the brain actually fires and I can actually <laughs> remember something it was an episode, a couple episodes late, though. Uh, well, I'm sorry. You know, it took me, <laughs> took me a little bit to track it down, but 
You know, so. I, I had a milestone the other day, and now I can't remember what. See, I say this a lot. I get a lot of shit about it. How come you can't remember, you know? But I had a milestone the other day. I actually crossed the 10,000 comic book mark of, of you know, I have a, a I have a large collection that's actually a lot more books than 10,000. Mm. But I don't put anything into my actual, you know, cataloged collection so read- until I read it. Yeah. So I passed the the actual ten thousand mark the other day of red comics. So you know, if I'm a little fuzzy on details and specifics, sometime it's just you got to remember I'm I, I I'm cluttered up with ten thousand comics. A lot of them shitty ones that you know <laughs> kind of crowd out the, the the details and the specifics sometimes of of particular storylines and characters, but. Uh, so that's that's why that's my excuse anyway, and I'm sticking to it. Damn it! <laughs> All right, we got the in-depth look on Scott. This has been sixty minutes. I'm Dan Rather. Good night. That concludes another episode of Back to the Bins. To contact the show, please email at backtothebins at gmail Please join in again next week, and we will travel back back to the bins.